Welcome, welcome, welcome everybody to the Hockey Think Tank podcast brought to you by the HockeyThinkTank.com, a website for all players, parents, and coaches to go to get a little bit of education and a little bit of inspiration regarding the greatest game on the planet. What an episode we have for you guys here today. We bring on the Vice President of Development for the Ontario Hockey League, Joe Birch. A little bit about Birchie's background. He grew up right outside of the great city of Sarnia after being born in Windsor. Uh, He played in the OHL in the mid-90s before going on to play a couple years at the University of Western Ontario. And that is a pretty good school and a pretty fun school from what I have been told. Uh, After that, uh, his main jobs, he was the Director of Recruitment for the Ontario Hockey League. Uh, He actually was an agent with the Newport Sports Group for a little bit as well before coming on to be the Vice President of Development for the Ontario Hockey League. Uh, Awesome guy. This was a great conversation, but before we get over to Birchie, let's bring on another awesome guy, Jeff Lavecchio. Jeff, what's going on today, man? What's up, brother? I'm uh, having a good day. Set up some cool business stuff last night where my boys over at Humble Hockey, who made a uh, couple couple articles of clothing for me to sell to my my clients over the last year, and I we came up with a new clothing line that's going to be kind of like the give more, be more stuff that I do, and that'll be coming out really soon. So uh, ne- next podcast we have where we have the website all finished and stuff like that, I'll make sure to tell everyone about it. But pretty excited about that, and uh, yeah, got a big weekend ahead. I'm going to Omaha. Oh, back to Omaha go. with my 16s team, my coach. So they asked me to drop the ceremonial puck on Saturday. So that's <laughs> Come on, be hilarious. seriously? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> are you going to be shirtless or are you going to have a shirt on for it? Obviously, I'm going to go out there completely shirtless. <laughs> I'm going to do 200 push-ups right before I go out on the ice. Uh, rip, peel the tarp off. Maybe I'll rip it off. A little Hulk Hogan uh, action? Yeah. And then half the fans in there have no idea who I am because it's been so long since I played there. <laughs> who is this idiot who's half naked? <laughs> Oh, gosh. I think I feel like I call you a tool every episode now, but (laughs) well worth it. It's all good. Um, But uh, I think this was awesome having Birchie on the podcast today. And over the weekend, uh, I was able to go up and watch a little hockey uh, in Rochester. They had uh, the best GTHL teams from Ontario come down and play against some of the best American teams uh, in a little border battle, they called it. And uh, it was really good hockey and uh, just kind of fitting time to bring on the vice president of development uh, for the Ontario Hockey League down. And a lot of great information from Birchie, not only about the Ontario Hockey League in terms of some of the scholarship programs, some of the things they do for their players, um, but also just like the process to get there and uh, and how to kind of navigate the youth hockey process as well. I thought we got into some some awesome topics concerning both of those. I agree. Did you say the GTL, the Jim Tan Laundry League? (laughs) Shut up. The (laughs) GTL. HL Jeffrey. Oh, okay. Okay. Sorry. Yeah, no, Birchie was awesome. And there were a lot of questions that, you know, I played with tons of, of major junior guys and OHL guys throughout my 10 year career. And there were questions that he'd answer for me that I had no idea the answer to. Like, I didn't know that players while playing in the O could be going to school and, and, and taking classes for free. I mean, that not even part of their scholarship package. Yep. So, I mean, that is, that is an unbelievably massive point that I think a lot more players should know about and also take advantage of. 
Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I really like the way that he talks about just like the holistic development of the player too and how the league is investing resources, time and money into not just the hockey stuff, but the schooling, the the mental health awareness and and like just a bunch of the other stuff that makes you become a good hockey player because as we talk about on the podcast all the time, it's not just what you do in the rink that allows you to be good at hockey. There's so much more to it and uh it was just a, it was a great conversation, a lot of great information and then again, one of the biggest things that we talked about was how important that parent education is uh, when it comes to player development and uh, a lot of good stuff for a lot of the parents for for this episode for sure yeah and it, I, I mean it's not nice to hear this but it's also nice to hear that you know he's up in Canada where the game started and they kind of are facing some of the similar problems of people trying to rush development and rush their kids to the next level and the same questions that we get down here in the uh, in the states so it was kind of it, it was nice to hear that you know, they're dealing with some of the same issues in minor hockey that we're dealing with in the U.S. right now as well. Totally. I mean, you look at the countries that are really, really killing it when it comes to player development, and you look at specifically the Scandinavian countries, the Finlands and the Swedens, their process is slow. (laughs) It's a slow process. And the, the more that Canada and the more that U.S. speeds up that process, the less players from our countries you're going to see in the NHL. I guarantee it. I guarantee it because kids are going to burn out. Um, The professionalization at such a young age, it does no favors for any kid that wants to play at a higher level. And uh, and it's something that we really need to talk about and address. And the, the issue is, and we talk about this on the podcast, there's a lot of problems with that, but the solutions are a little bit harder to come by. You know, because there's so many hands in the cookie jar, there's so many people making money, and um, I think most people actually are well-intentioned. And like you said, you made a great point. I think most people are well-intentioned, but at the same time, more isn't always better. And uh, sometimes you gotta you pump the brakes for development, and you gotta kind of take a step back and allow things to happen, and do other things other than hockey. And again, that holistic development that we talked about is 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 uh, it's everything. Well, I think that's where what what Birchie said and what you said we're talking about, like um, trying to teach the parents more what makes more sense for development and things like that, rather than going to 10 camps in the summer or to five tournaments. Maybe you go to one and maybe you go to two camps because there's nothing wrong with going to a camp. I mean, we went to a couple camps together over the years in the yeah. summer, but we'd go to one a summer. Or we'd go to two to summer or depending on the age, you have to time it out with what makes sense to help you develop. So, you know, we talked about on the podcast, like, you know, I mean, I'm, I make money in the hockey world, like doing strength, being a strength coach for an organization. And then in my private practice training, you know, pros and junior players and things like that. But you, you've got to you got to pick the right ones and at the right times. So there's nothing wrong with like, you know, all these guys coming back and wanting to, to help the next generation and run a camp and, and they want to, you know, make some money off of it. There's nothing wrong with that. But just tr- if you're one of those guys, don't try and have kids on the ice week after week after week after week in the offseason. Like that's just not good for anybody. So parents need to be taught that, hey, like, yeah, you can go to that guy. You can teach your son some next level thinking, but just in the off season, you don't need to be there five days a week, every week, all summer long. You're going to burn them out. Yeah, yeah, it's all about balance for sure. It's about balance, and I feel like we've talked about this a lot on the podcast. But you know, I think it's really good coming from different perspectives and coming from different people around the U.S. and Canada because even though we have separate problems and set in different places, that 
call for different solutions, you know, sometimes hearing somebody else's perspective from somewhere else can help you to kind of have perspective on what's going on in, in your own area and with your own family and your own kids and stuff. And, um, Birchie's a great guy and, uh, had a lot of great information for sure. And, uh, yeah, I think it's good too. I mean, we had Mike McKenzie. So for, for the people from Ontario that uh, are just kind of joining on to the podcast, we had Mike McKenzie, who's the general manager of the Kitchener Ragers on the podcast before. So if you want even some more information, you can go back and listen to that episode. Um, that was a really good one. And, uh, having another guy like Birchie and and I mean he's kind of like the number two of the OHL I mean he's a big time guy and uh, the fact that we got him on here to to talk about it was uh, was really cool especially because he's such a good guy number two (laughs) I saw you smirk when I said that I was like that wasn't funny what's he talking about (laughs) as soon as he said that I just Austin Powers number two that's all I can think of I love it well before we do get over to Birchie again Jeff and I like we want to do every episode we want to thank everybody for tuning in again Uh, our numbers keep growing with this podcast and and we can't thank you guys enough for helping to spread the word and uh, by by sharing us with your cocky groups whether it's on social media or through email or as Jeff likes to say through facts and, and stuff like that. Um, you know, we, pigeon. <laughs> by pigeon. Um, we appreciate you spreading the word. What we're trying to do here is we're just trying to spread the positivity and some education on the hockey world and, and try to add a little sanity into what seems like sometimes the insanity. So if you can uh, continue to help share us, um, shoot us a rating and shoot us a review on iTunes or your Apple podcast. That goes a long way uh, into getting us into some more people's hands. And, and the more that we can do to help you, um, we, we want, uh, we want all the information that we can get. So if you have feedback for us, we would really appreciate it. We want to get better as well. And we're on Spotify now too. So tell your friends that don't, don't have iPhones, those green <laughs> bubble people. You can listen to us on Spotify as well. <laughs> the green bubble people. I love the, it. Those people. <laughs> Good stuff. Well, this was a great conversation with Joe Birch and, uh, without further ado, let's head it on over to Joe Birch. We are so excited to have on this episode of the podcast, the Vice President of Development for the Ontario Hockey League, Joe Birch. Birchie, how are we doing this morning? Hey, I'm great, Topher. I'm great, Jeff. Thanks for having me on. Uh, it's an awesome uh, morning here in Southern Ontario, and I love to talk hockey any, any chance I get, so I'm, I'm really excited to join you both. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And we've gotten the chance to talk hockey before, and we probably could have went for about nine hours as we were doing it. Good thing we actually <laughs> had other stuff to do. But, uh, you know, typically on the podcast, Birchie, what we like to do is kind of take it way back and, you know, find out a little bit about your story. So if you can, um, you know, you grew up right outside of Sarnia, Ontario. And uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about what mom and dad and family like was life growing up out there and, and how that allowed you to fall in love with the game? Yeah, sure. You, you know, compared to today's standards, I, I started the game late. Um, I, I didn't start playing organized hockey until I was about eight or nine years old. And not unlike sometimes a lot of new Canadians that we hear about today, I, I actually grew up in Windsor. And my dad got transferred to Corona, which is just south of Sarnia. And uh, to meet new friends uh, in grade two or grade three, whichever age I was at that time, it was the simple register Joe in hockey and, and meet some new friends and get uh, filled into the community. Uh, my dad actually, I uh, don't come from a hockey background and family. My dad played basketball and football growing up. And uh, my cousin, my first cousin is actually DJ Smith. And, oh, wow. uh, and his, his dad and my dad grew up together playing basketball and football and basketball in the Windsor area. And, and uh, partly, you know, under the recommendation of my uncle, DJ's father, my, 
you know, when we moved, he said, register him in hockey and, 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 and kind of uh, get him into the community that way. So, uh, you know, I, I don't know. You know, I probably would have signed up at a young age, but because of the move, it's what got me into the game. And and from there, I, I played uh, what was local B hockey in Moortown. Uh, Paul Eisenbart would be a famous alumni that came through that program and, um, and, and eventually went on to play some AAA, Junior B, and then into the OHL and at, at Western University. So I... I by today's standards, I know a lot of kids start skating at, and some play organized hockey at four years old, but, but I didn't actually start the game until about eight or nine. Man, so late. I'm <laughs> surprised you made it yeah, as far as you did. Jeez. <laughs> I, yeah, yeah no, no kidding, no kidding. You know, I, I coach this age group now with my, my oldest son, who is eight years old, and, and, and I, I try to tell parents to slow down a bit and just enjoy the experience because... You know, some of them, and, and my son included, he did it. He started at four. Um, uh, you know, but but they think that four to eighteen happens overnight, and and reality is it isn't. So, it's enjoying the experience, it's enjoying the journey. I've been I've been lucky that from eight till forty one today, I've had a, uh, a, I've had a lot of fun, and I've been very fortunate. Uh, the game's been great to me. I have a deep passion, and, and I love love still being in it today. You better be careful telling parents to slow down because that's the oh. opposite of what they're looking to do. <laughs> You're right, Jeff. I, I know it's a it's a it's a scary thing, and and uh, you know I'm, I'm I'm glad to hear that it's just not an Ontario centric matter. I guess I don't know if that's good or bad for us as the game in a, in a greater good, but um, it's something that boy uh, as uh, two North American you know as North America us and yourselves in the United States, we got to figure out how to fix it and slow it down because there doesn't need to be this rush and there doesn't need to be all these stresses and there's the pressures sorted around uh, uh, related to eight-year-olds winning hockey games and playing 100 hockey games and, and everything else. It, it just doesn't create uh, lifelong members in our sport. And, in fact, I, I really believe this. I think it reduces their chances of actually having any chance of playing at a higher level when it really matters, 17 18 years old because of, of what's being applied to them and pressures at this age. So I, I believe it. I, I sometimes get the sideways eyes from parents <laughs> or other hockey coaches. Like, what do you mean? I, I shouldn't be playing in June. No, don't go play soccer, go play lacrosse. Um, but, but we'll try to, you know, continue to push that message through to any player and family that I'm associated with. Yeah, for sure. No, I think it's such a great message, and uh, you know, that's what Jeff and I are trying to do here, and I know that's what a lot of what you're trying to do up there, uh, working with the Ontario Hockey League, is trying to help to change the culture and slow it down a little bit, but in terms of, you mentioned the parents and the coaches, and one of the questions that I kind of get all the time in terms of, you know, why is it so crazy? You know, like, why yeah. why is it like this? Do you, do you feel like it's more parent-driven or do you feel like it's more kind of like entrepreneur organization-driven? Because I've tried to think about that, and I, I think it's both, but what, I would love to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, you know, I, I think it's actually I – I think we're dealing with a three-headed challenge here. If, if you have an organization that maybe doesn't philosophically believe to slow it down, there could be a problem. If you have a parent that – doesn't understand and we know this happens parents live through their children that's a problem and then if you have an entrepreneur and, I, and I'm fine with the entrepreneur but 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 the entrepreneur also I think needs to respect boundaries and understand where they're where they fit and and, and if you're an entrepreneur 
and you're fitting in into assisting in individual skill development or individual skills or mental performance, then I think there's a great spot for you. But I think potentially if you're not an entrepreneur who's driving families to spend lots of money to play another 40 games between May and July, I find that problematic. So I actually think, I think it's a combination of all three. And maybe some areas in the world or some areas within, I'll say, in Ontario, they have two of three problems or they have three of three problems, which I see every day in the GTA. Um, but I think it's the organizations and the families and the coaches that can sort it out and dissect some of those problems that ideally they're doing the good and the right thing for the player, which for me, everything I do, including what I do professionally with the Ontario Hockey League, is about player and player experience. And that's at the core of everything I think that coaches should view things, organizations, and leagues. It's all about the player and the player experience. It's tough too, right? Because the the market is like so super saturated with entrepreneurs in hockey. And I do believe it stems mostly from people who want to help and think like, oh, I can help a kid or, you know, if I do lessons, I do this. But then you've got, you know, in the same rink, 10 other guys who used to play who are trying to run a hockey camp for great reasons. Usually, I mean, one, uh, you, if you played at a higher level, like, you know, things that just other parents might not. So you can disseminate that information and help kids get better. But two, for guys who are playing in the coast or the A or in college hockey, you know, the, the allure of making 10,000 to a hundred thousand dollars in a week for a good hockey camp. I mean, that that makes a lot of guys want to run a camp and then i think they're all of a sudden like well i can do this all summer and keep making money like this and it's really crazy money but then it's like all right well how many times are you having these kids on the ice per week in the summer so i totally understand what tof is saying there like i see that personally just around the st louis area yeah i get it i i'm with you too jeff and 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 i say i think there's some excellent excellent entrepreneurs out there that have great values that you know, it, for me, for me, that the thing that we have to figure out as a collective, uh, like we're all in this as professionals, you guys, myself, other leagues, other bodies, is you know, can we get the, can we get, can we bring the entrepreneur potentially in to message what we need to message? You know, um, the skill development at age appropriate age is probably an okay thing. It's putting them, in my view, anyways. It's putting them into that game environment by running a tournament, uh, or or having or telling players that they need to participate on their team to run a tournament in a mall in Edmonton over the month of July, <laughs> um, uh, and play an extra ten games. That they're being told that's a positive part of their development, and and I don't I don't agree with that. I don't I don't agree that part of your player development, your skills, your skating, your mental, your physical health. Is all should be all driven by games, and I think there's some entrepreneurs that are so heavy on that side that that's the horse is out of the barn here in so many ways, and we're trying to pull it back in. And I think that's really difficult to do. Um, but I do believe there are some great entrepreneurs that understand that there is a balance here that's age appropriate, that relates to skill, cross training, and other things. And we got to find a way to maybe flush those guys to the top here to help families. Because I think that's part of it, and this is why things that you guys are doing is fantastic. A lot of families just don't know where to turn to potentially get answers. You know what? My gut told me I didn't need to do this, but nobody told me I didn't need to do this. You know what I mean? And, and, and I and I think I think that's where 
uh, the more education we can provide to, to moms and to dads, uh, ideally the better off we'll all be in the long run. And hey, little Johnny's going to six tournaments over the summer, so if he's doing that, then I got to have my son do it too. Yeah, totally. Yeah, keep it up, keep it up with the Joneses, eh, guys? <laughs> it's, a, it's a real problem. Yeah, you, you took that. You took that right out of my mouth because that's what I was just going to ask you. Like where where I am and with a lot of the people that I deal with, both in the U.S. and Canada. I mean, I feel like that's the toughest thing for parents is that keeping up with the Joneses mentality. Because you go back to the education, like there's very little coach or um, not coaching education. There's very little parent education out there. You know, there's pretty good coaching education out there throughout USA Hockey and Hockey Canada and stuff. And you, know, you can go on YouTube or Instagram and you know find a bunch of videos and all that kind of stuff to you know talk about player development but i think the biggest problem and the biggest need is is parent education and so they don't feel that fear of missing out that keeping up with the joneses and so how do you feel like the best way like you know you and us and anybody out there that's listening what's the best way that you think we can educate these parents on you know maybe more is not better (laughs) you know and things like that well, you know, I'm, I'm a big believer in studying other sports, like 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 read books or, or read articles about what soccer is doing. Or, I mean, uh, I, I pay a lot of compliments to USA Hockey, to the Swedes, to the Finns, because, uh, you, you know, you guys, for as an example, in the small area games, introduced that as, as an early age or, or an early time frame that we have here in Canada, and, and the, the fruits of the labor are paying off. But... Uh, you know, I study other sports. You know, look look at you know what what soccer has potentially been doing. Um, I would ask anybody and anybody around that's potentially played the game because no information is is bad information. It's just how you decipher it and and, and take it in. So, you know, maybe there's an uncle or a cousin or a friend of a friend that actually played at a high level. Don't be afraid. I think this is one thing that I've come to see in dealing with parents you know, preparing for their OHL drafts or in through making, you know, uh, uh, decisions at high levels, they're afraid to ask questions. And, and boy, I, I think that's such a, I think that's such a, a, an old school way to think. I think there's some really excellent people in the game today that are willing to help. And, uh, and, and if I'm a parent and I don't know where, don't be afraid to pick up the office phone number uh, for Hockey Canada or USA Hockey, because each of these each of these offices, in particular within within the individual states, I'm sure, or at least within the individual provinces, have somebody dedicated who can say, no, why don't you think of it this way? You know, whether it's their technical director or their executive director or Joe Birch, the vice president of development in the league office, who can give you a different perspective um, without any interest or self-interest involved. And, and if I'm a parent, I would encourage them to ask questions I would encourage them to read other sports and study other sports. Um, I think that those are two things that they can do with little to no effort at all and would be further ahead than doing nothing at all or just taking one person's advice and saying, come play in this summer hockey tournament and this summer hockey tournament over three months because that's what's going to get you to be Mitch Marner. And I think that's wrong. Yeah, and I think that's where we need to have 
more guys who are recently, you know, retired pros or, or guys who are leaving the OHL and, and maybe they're going to stop playing hockey or maybe they're going to play CIS or NCAA D1, whatever it is. Like as soon as they're done, yeah. like to come back and, and help coach and help be around because like it's, it's unbelievable. Like the things that are just second nature to us now that we don't think are like tough decisions. I had a mom call me from one of my players I train over the weekend and was just like, please help me. My son has like eight junior teams talking to him. They all, they want to ask these questions. We've never been through this. We're not a hockey family. Like, what do I do? Where do I go? How do we answer these questions? And like, for me, it's yeah. like, man, I've been doing this for like 10 years, help people. Like it's just like second nature, but they have no hockey relatives. So like, people who are finishing playing like get back in the game and at least be around the rink and and offer up your your knowledge that you've acquired from going through this process recently i think that's such a great comment jeff and i, and I actually think you know the, the more that i interact with with many of our alumni on a regular basis they, they're actually looking to give back they're, they're looking to find a way to get back into the game not all of them but i would say a majority of them you know, want want to say thank you in some way, or want to want to actually start to carve out a career, and and I think that's a great message. The more that we can tap into all of our alumni, because I think you're exactly you hit it on the the nail on the head. It's just it's easy for us because we live in it and we talk about it on a regular basis and we have access to it. But for the family that doesn't know, um, it can be really really daunting. And and with the number of, uh, I mean, the other piece I would suggest to families too. Is, is not to get tied up on blogs or, or reading into Twitter and, and, and comments and other things. Yes, you want to use it. There's positive things about the social media side, but there's so many, uh, there's so much information out there that it can actually be really misleading. <laughs> and I would go to government bodies, and I would go to, I would go to alumni. I would, I would go to people who've had firsthand knowledge at some level, because at least they might be able to put, point you in the right direction. But I think it's a really great comment. Speaking of Topher, anyone who's listening to this in Canada, because I know now we're just starting to get a little bit traction in Canada, Topher's Twitter and Instagram is unreal to learn things. I have NHL and AHL guys who message me and like, did you see Topher's video from yesterday? I learned so much from that. And they're watching his videos before games. So I know I'm plugging my own partner here, but like he has a great social media to learn from. Thanks, I'll Jeff. give the same plug because uh, Tofa, I, I watch it as well, too. It is some excellent stuff that you can pick up uh, to coach at any level. And, and I think that's really cool about what you guys are doing. If you have the right mindset as a coach, even though I'm coaching eight-year-olds, uh, you know, if you post a video on a different type of entry, well, I don't need to teach it at the NHL level, but maybe I talk to my eight-year-old about entering the right way. So I, I applaud you for what you're doing, too. Thanks, Bertie. Appreciate it, guys. Just a little pick-me-up here yeah. this morning. I like it. <laughs> hey, I, Jeff, I'd love to talk Jeff, about it. Jeff, coffee now. <laughs> <laughs> I, I get paid like $2 every time I say something nice about him. So like, <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm just kidding, but I, I would love to, to talk about something that you just touched on there, Bertie. Something that I'm seeing yeah. in the youth levels is – a lot of coaches who maybe didn't play the game at a high level or or didn't play at all, which there's nothing wrong with, they'll watch an NHL game and they'll say, okay, John Tavares yeah. is doing this. And then they'll take that yeah. to their 8, 9, 10-year-olds and be like, well, in the NHL they're doing this, so we got to do this. Yeah. And I think yeah. we need to get them – 
with the base of knowledge from our governing bodies, Hockey Canada, USA Hockey, things like that is, and I had a meeting with Bob Mancini uh, last week, is teaching them to regress it. Okay, so notice what's happening in that NHL game. All right, so then what's the foundational things that I need to teach my eight-year-olds so as they go up in, in years and levels of hockey, we're building on that. So then at when they get older, they can do that skill because you can't teach an eight-year-old to toe-drag and shoot and stride the way that Austin Matthews can. But you can teach them the foundational yeah. skills of shooting and, and you know different weight shifts and things like that. You just don't jump right to, okay, this is happening in the NHL. Let's do this with six-year-olds. Yeah. Tough to toe drag. If you can't, if you can't pivot (laughs) properly or you don't have good edges and you, and you fall over when, you know, being any, any type of contact with a player, I'm with you. And, And I think that's the real fine line here of educating coaches for sure. You know, like I just mentioned, like I, I, I'm fortunate because of, you know, getting to work in the game and I do a lot of coach clinics that we actually run as an OHL. So I hear a lot of different points of view, but, but I I can also look at it with my lens as a novice coach too and say, no, I can't, I, I can't do the toe drag yet because my eight year old can't skate yet. And, and no, I'm not, I can't work on a breakout yet because they can't pass properly yet where you're right, a lot of coaches can get caught into it. Uh, there's a great book out there, guys. Uh, I don't know if either of you read it, uh, called Grit by um, Angela Duckworth. Yeah. And, uh, and, and in the book, one of the chapters, she talks about the importance of deliberate practice. And deliberate practice, is, in her view, is just mastering a skill for a certain period of time, and it relates to overall skill development. But, but deliberate practice is... is is taking the time to master that skill. So let's suggest it's passing. And in her in her mind, to be able to grow in skill development and then acquire grit, which is a whole other series of chapters. But in her mind, one of the key pieces is actually having deliberate practice all the time to where you master a skill and then you move on. And then you have deliberate practice in that area. So if it's passing, we deliberately practice enough until we've mastered the skill of pra- passing. And then do we move it into passing while moving or then do we move it into passing within a breakout and I think that deliberate practice piece for me I know as a coach I really it really resonated with me to ensure that uh, we don't we don't run before we walk and, and I think that's something that can really get lost within coaches and ultimately what it does is just hurts the player <laughs> so for all the the might and squirt and Adam and novice coaches out there that are running power plays uh, and power play formations and set <laughs> breakouts and stuff, please listen to what Joe just had to say. <laughs> please, please. All you'll do is get frustrated as a coach. I think that's really hard. Or parents get frustrated. And that, that then translates into your player. And that's not fair to the player because the player hasn't been taught essentially maybe they've been taught the skills within it but they haven't mastered it yet and yeah. and, and that just for all the player development and for all the player experience first you have to really take a step back sometimes before you can move forward absolutely and you know you mentioned yeah. uh you mentioned player development and experience we've talked a lot about education and i have to imagine that with your role with the ontario hockey league right now a lot of that you know falls kind of under your purview so you know i know your your name yeah. and your uh you know your title is the vice president of development for the ontario hockey league but uh you know jeff and i just want to kind of ask you what's what's that job description like and what's your actual role and uh from yeah. from a uh from a movie that we like to quote uh, office space you know what would you say 
uh, what would you say you do here? No. <laughs> so, like, what what uh, what are your roles and responsibilities with uh, yeah. with your job with the OHL? Yeah, so so I have really I have really kind of three focus areas that I work on a, on a regular basis. It's uh, uh, from from the development side. It's really all encompassing of these three areas: one, sponsorship and marketing. So I have a team that I work with on that side. Uh, I actually have communications. So the way that we view things is that communications and sponsorship and marketing and now hockey all have to blend together. Okay, but for specifically where my career has been built uh, of being the league's recruiter and director of education. The hockey development side is really has been my bread and butter and my core. So within the hockey development side for the for, for us and for the viewers, which usually what most people want to talk about, right? Uh, we view development uh, as player experience in the core, but as a real holistic uh, level. And so you know, for us, player development includes education. It includes community. It includes your tactical work, your technical work. It includes sports science. Um, it includes volunteerism. It, it includes all of these things that help uh, character. It, it, it includes all of these things that can help a player grow, not just on the ice. And, and I think that's something that, I think the NH- some of the NHL teams are probably doing really, really well. I know a lot of our OHL teams are doing really well. I'm sure there's a lot of college teams that are doing it really, really well. But I don't know uh, if as an entire, you know, if it's being pushed through at the right ages and, and through to everybody that player development isn't just getting on the ice with a skills guy anymore. It's not just getting in the gym it's not just working with mental performance. It's everything else that brings balance to helping the athlete grow. And so on my, in my hockey development team, I have a, a director of education. I have a director of player recruitment. I have a manager of, of hockey development and a manager of hockey events. And so myself and these kind of five people every day, uh, when I talk to them, it's about how can we improve the player experience and improve our player development model. And that's what we live in. That's what I live in every day. It's been a lot of fun. I'm, I'm really fortunate to get to do what I do. That's really cool. And do you guys do, do you guys work more with like teams individually on like kind of like a more granular basis? Or are there more like initiatives that you guys do league wide to kind of put an overall message yeah. out there? Yeah, a little, little blend of, uh, of both. And, and, and again, it's probably three, three, three things here. We, we, we're very engaged with the minor midgets, obviously with those players and families entering into their OHL draft or the draft particip- the draft happening at the end of their uh, minor midget season. So we have, we would do individual player meetings. We would have individual team seminars or team experiences. Um, we would do things with minor hockey associations. At the OHL level, uh, we would work with our clubs on, on trying to provide to them any type of guidance, best practices. Uh, you know, hey, here's the latest and greatest in sports science. Um, you, you know, so, so we would be very broad in that, in that respect. As it relates to education, um, Christina Leishram is our director of education, and she would actually work with individual families both while they're in our league and then once they graduate our league to access their scholarship. So it's very granular, to your point, depending on the age specific, but it also could be very broad depending on if we're working with our 20-member clubs 
or then it gets back to being individual as it relates to education and, and where are they through the league and then out through the league graduating. So it's, uh, it, 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 it captures everything, to be honest with you. Gotcha, gotcha, cool. Well, I know that one of the things yeah, that you were really instrumental on was kind of changing the perception of the whole education package with the OHL when that became a huge thing in, in uh, you know, the recruiting battle between the OHL and college hockey. And uh, obviously Jeff and I played in college and we're down here, so that's a little bit more of what we know. But if you can, yeah. just kind of talk to us a little bit about the education packages in the Ontario Hockey League and how you went about kind of behind the scenes, because I know you were big on it, to, to kind of get that going and get the buy-in for it, maybe from like the owners in the OHL and, and making it a thing that it's really important for you guys. Yeah, thank you. It, it, it certainly wasn't, it wasn't, you know, I was, I was the one who got to execute it. It was really, the driver was, you know, our office, my, myself, uh, David Branch, Ted Baker, and then the owners really supported our our change with uh, the philosophy and the vision we put in place back in 2008. And, and at that time, we changed our scholarship. So um, prior to that, there was very much a tiered level of an OHL scholarship education package. You would have, you know, the first rounders who would get a full ride, you know, which is tuition, books, compulsory fees, room and board. And then you would have anything else beyond that. You, you could have a, a second rounder that got a set dollar amount you could have a 15th rounder that that uh you know got a small dollar amount of a thousand dollars this is this is like pre-2007 2008 so we're going you know a ways back now what we did in 2008 is we really tried to streamline the program because some of the feedback that we were getting uh from being out in the field uh was hey your scholarship is all over the place it's really confusing so now our scholarship program First rounders, if you're drafted in the first round, you're automatically entitled to a full ride, tuition, books, and compulsory fees based upon the closest university to where mom and dad reside. If you're drafted in rounds two through 15 or you're a free agent, it's a minimum scholarship value of tuition, books, and compulsory fees based upon the dollar value of where mom and dad reside. You could earn a full ride if you're drafted in one of those slots, 2 through 15, but that would be negotiated. That's not an automatic league benefit. Where this became really a great value and where we've seen the increase of our players uh, accessing the scholarship is is now, you know, with your, let's suggest you're a third rounder, you have a scholarship of tuition books and compulsory fees. Uh, on top of that, you receive an academic scholarship from one of our great youth sports or Canadian college uh, hockey teams. You receive an athletic scholarship from one of those teams on top of it. Now, all of a sudden, you play four years in the OHL. You go and play at Western for four years, and you've received academic and athletic money. And now you're going to school for free. Your education is paid for as a combination of the OHL scholarship and your, your youth sports CIS uh, programming. And, and now you've gotten to play another four years of great hockey, eight years of great hockey, all because you played through the Ontario Hockey League program. So uh, that's been a significant change in the tiering. Uh, we've done away with that. The other significant change is that only a National Hockey League entry-level agreement will void the OHL scholarship. And that's, that it used to be any pro contract, whether that was an East Coast or an American League or a minor pro, and that's no longer the case. So if a player Did that just change? 
that changed uh, four years ago. Okay. Okay. So, so we've, we've always kind of been trying to evolve a bit. Uh, what I initially talked about happened in, in 08, and then about four, I think it was four or five years ago, we, we brought in this, uh, the, the, the only NHL entry level. So a player could go sign, uh, you know, uh, over in Europe if you wanted, the DL. He could go play one year in the American Hockey League. And for 18 months, he, could, he can try that. At the end of the 18 months, he has to make the decision, but the pro contract would not negate his scholarship. And then the third major thing that we did is we centralized the process of accessing your OHL scholarship, which is what Christina, the director of education, oversees for us. And basically, it's a one-stop shop for a player. If I played four years in the league, everything is secured and accessed through the league office. So all I need to do is provide to uh, the league office where I'm going to school, uh, you know, student number, so on and so forth. The league will then administer to paying your scholarship on your behalf directly to the institution. So we get a bill. We get a bill for... Uh, we get a bill for your tuition, and we pay the tuition directly on the behalf of, of the student, and, and away they go. So those three key, those three pieces over the last 10 uh, or 11 years have been really instrumental in helping our scholarship program grow, but also helping us with, um, you know, retaining some great Ontario players and also attracting some great uh, U.S. players. Stay out of here. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, que- so another another uh, another question when it comes to those things. So, just uh, so I think the listeners kind of understand the full scope of it. So, um, the two questions I have is one: you have you kind of like if you play in the OHL, you have 18 months after you graduate from the OHL to kind of figure out if you want to use the education package. Is that is that correct? Yeah, at the end of your junior eligibility. Okay. So, okay. So if you leave, if a player leaves their league at 19, he actually has 30 months. Oh, okay. So let's say, okay, so, so let's say he plays uh, 17, 18, 19. At the end of his 19-year-old year, maybe, maybe, he goes, maybe he goes and plays in the American League. You know, maybe he goes and plays as a 20-year-old in the American League. No problem. His... his his scholarship's fully intact, and, and, and at the end of his junior eligibility, at the end of his overage year, is when, when the 18-month window would start. That, that's not uh, common. What we do find is a lot of players, they play in our league, maybe they just haven't developed, and they end up playing, you know, maybe they play Tier 2 Junior A for a year, which is, which is fine. There's nothing wrong with that. Some guys, some, some guys, you know, just take a year off, which is totally cool, too. But uh, you have until the end of junior eligibility, so the 18 months would start in the September of your first chance of basically full-time enrollment. So if a player finishes this April in uh, 2020, his 18-month window uh, would start in September of 2020, making him have to access in January of 2022, basically. So you're now 22 years old, and you, and you need to make that decision. Am I going to continue maybe playing in the East Coast or continue playing in the American Hockey League and access my scholarship or what am I doing? And, and that's, that's, the, that's, that's, that's that definition of that window in, in the simplest sense. 
Gotcha. Yeah, that makes sense. And then the other question I had too is it based upon how many years you play? So, like, if you play two years in the Ontario Hockey, let's say you start at uh, at nineteen, you play your nineteen twenty year. Do, do you get two years then of a school package, and then two years you got to pay, or does it kind of go by year? That's yeah, that's correct. In okay. general terms, for for each season played, you earn one season of scholarship funds. Cool. Cool. And how, uh, when you guys like started to change a lot of that and was there like, that's, I would have to imagine that the owners have to pony up some pretty good money to, to help and, and allocate the funds to be able to do that. Was there any pushback with that? Or was that something that was really important to your guys' league? What was that kind of process like in, in trying to yeah. sell this to the owners? Yeah, I, I think you know. I think Dover they saw it as a long-term investment for us, and sure. making sure that we that we keep you know we keep our our great players here in Ontario. And um, you know, I, I, it was it's the right thing to do. And I think that's the the one of the great things that I've experienced uh, in working with our our ownership group is that it, that again they they philosophically believe at the core is the player experience as well. And, and the right thing to do was to do this. Uh, I mean, we, we know across everywhere scholarship values were escalating. And, and, uh, and to say a player maybe is a 15th-round pick and he plays four years in the league and he plays 300 games, but he only received $2,000 in scholarship money, that didn't sit right with anybody. Yeah. That didn't seem to be the right thing to do, right? So, so now, you know, the way that our dollar value of our scholarship is set is, is the local institution the closest to where mom and dad reside uh, will actually tell us what that bottom dollar value is. So I'll use my case as an example and you'll see the difference here. If I was a 15th round pick in 2000, and, let's say 2000, and I was offered a $2,000 scholarship, and that may be what I had taken and played in the league. Now if you're a 15th round pick and I grew up in Sarnia, the closest institution to me is Western. And Western's average of tuition, books, and compulsory fees for a general studies degree uh, this season, I believe, is around 8800 Canadian dollars. So a significant increase. But now as a 15th round pick, I can say, wow, that's, a, that's an incredible scholarship uh, for me and my family that I can use and continue on. Uh, you know, th- th- this makes a lot of sense. So, you know, for the owners, they understood it was the right thing to do. And uh, it was a long-term investment in the league and in our players. Yeah, very cool. I have a question for you. Uh, are there any players that, or or is this allowed? Are, are, is anyone taking college courses while playing in the Ontario yeah. Hockey League, or any pro players? They're like, well, I'm going to go play in the OHL at 20, but I want to start taking classes. Can they do online classes with their scholarship, or is that not allowed? Yes to both, actually, Jeff. So we we strongly encourage, and again, this is back to that real holistic player development model. Like an idle mind, an idle brain just isn't good for anybody, right? So, so many of our teams have a 100% student-athlete policy where they say, okay, once you graduate from high school, you're doing something whether you're taking an online course through through Western or through Athabasca or whether whether you're you're physically you're, you're in on campus you're you're playing in Guelph and you're sitting on the University of Guelph's campus and going to uh, going to courses uh, 
So yes, and that actually doesn't draw away from the scholarship that you'd be entitled to once you graduate from our league. So those are free courses. And so we're trying to encourage families and players to say, take advantage of this because maybe you can get a year to a year and a half complete of an undergraduate degree while you play in our league. And, and I say that because you guys know, I mean, you, you, you graduate from high school now at 18, so you're going to play in the league at 18, 19 years old. So if you take two courses at 18, that's six hours a week, right? A full course load, as an example. Your you're two courses as a 19-year-old, another six hours. They, they have six hours a week is my point here. And, and uh, if they can complete that, then their dollars of their OHL scholarship could actually be used towards grad school because they haven't exhausted anything. Yeah, so we're finding... Kyle Ferreira is a good example. I'll use Kyle in my office here, Director of Player Recruitment. He completed a year and a half at Guelph through the University of Guelph. He went on to do his undergrad in play at St. Mary's University, and he had uh, he, he, he did his MBA. He had a portion of his MBA paid for through his OHL scholarship because he completed stuff up front. So we're strongly encouraging this. We do have two players, um, I believe... I'm going to draw the blank right now, but he's a goaltender. He's playing over minor pro in Italy. He's accessing his OHL scholarship uh, through Athabasca University, and he's playing minor pro in uh, in Italy right now. I want to say it's Jake Smith, but I, I'd have to double-check that. But we do have one player that is currently doing the situation that you're talking about. It's got That's unreal. Or could, yeah, so there's all kinds of flexibility in the scholarship that can, if you're a family and you really think about it, and you map it out, you, you can check off a lot of boxes. You just have to be understanding of it, and, uh, and, and you got to put the work in. Let's call it spade and spade. you got to work hard no matter what. But, but there's lots of flexibility to take advantage of it. Yeah, and I'll, I'll encourage any of the guys listening to this that are thinking about the OHL or are playing in the OHL, like, take advantage of this. Like, oh. First of all, take advantage of everything that's free. That's something you just know. But, I mean, the game is going to end one day for all of you young guys. I mean, Toph and I, Bertie, I'm sure we all thought we'd play forever. But now, you know, hindsight's 20-20. You look back. Take advantage of every opportunity that you have through these types of organizations and get the most out of your experience. And maybe you don't even want to, like, go to class to get a degree you're not thinking that way pick a class that interests you nutrition astronomy exercise science something that'll enhance your hockey ability which then you'll be excited to take that class so that would be a good idea that i would i would throw out there to anybody full of good ideas jeffrey you're full of good ideas man that's all i got (laughs) (laughs) well hey just building that foundation right guys that's all all you want to do you want to build that foundation totally totally well hey birchie i got a question for you so the the u.s has kind of started to adopt the model um, from like midget hockey to junior hockey, like it is in Canada, where uh, kind of like the the focal age that everybody puts a lot of resources and time and, and probably money into is the minor midget year. Um, you know, the USHL draft is now right after you know their U15, U16 minor midget year, uh, just like it is in Canada. And I feel like uh, that minor midget year, people go literally insane. 
Like they literally go insane and all they think about is where am I going to get drafted in the OHL? Where am I going to get drafted in the USHL? Or for us down here, like how am I going to put myself in the best position to play for the national team development program? That's all in that kind of same year. So the old fours are kind of going through that right now. Um, Yeah. So I wanted to ask you as the vice president of development of the Ontario Hockey League, what would some advice be for parents and kids that are minor midget U15, U16 year right now as they're kind of trying to wade through and figure out the craziness of uh, of this year? <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, <laughs> keep the noise out the best you can. You know, like, like, like let the player, if I'm a parent and if I, and I talk to any parent, my, my advice to them is, like, block your son from the noise. Just, just, don't try, try not to talk about it. Try not to get caught up on what's being said on social media. Let them just go to the rink and, 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 and play and work hard. Um, you know, because if you get caught in the distractions and oh, I saw this independent list and I heard this kid was rated here, how's he rated here? But my son has more points. Your experience is going to be awful and and it, and, it, and it shouldn't be so so i would strongly suggest one try to stay focused and, and block out the noise as parents if again this comes back to asking questions i hear from parents all the time and they'll say well i saw your general manager in the building but i didn't want to distract him okay i respect that that's fine but i had a question about i had a question about uh the schooling in kitchener well, well why didn't you ask mike well i didn't want to attract okay well you can get his email offline. Like you can, you know, reach out to people, ask questions. If that helps to alleviate some of the stress related around this, so I, I, I'm back to again. Don't be afraid to ask questions. For the players, though, um, you know, try to just be as consistent as they possibly can in their in their play. I hear from law scouts they come and they're going to say, "Oh, I'm gonna, I heard about this Birch kid." And I go and watch him. And game one, I go and watch him. I can't find him. And then game two, I go and watch him. He's dynamite, best player on the ice. Game three, I go watch him. I can't find him again. Game four, you know, that yo-yo effect, the up and down like a toilet seat can be really damaging, I think, to, to young players. So for players, I'd learn to be really consistent. Ultimately, after trying to focus on those things within the season, being drafted to our league or the USHL is only the first step. All the work is now required to get moving to get there. So if you've been fortunate enough to be one of the 300 drafted, celebrate the success, no doubt about it. It's so cool and unique, but be prepared to put in the work because Anthony Sorelli is a wicked case in point that was passed through two OHL drafts, ended up scoring a Memorial Cup goal, ended up, you know, he had a fantastic rookie year, uh, um, this Memorial Cup championship goal for Oshawa had a fantastic rookie year with with uh, Tampa Bay last year, and we missed him in two drafts. So mistakes happen, but something in Anthony kept him going, and and I think that's the thing that if I'm a player that I'm undrafted or I'm a parent of a player that's undrafted, just figure out what keeps my son going, because sometimes you just need a little bit of extra time, but. 
Well, well totally. And you, like you mentioned, yeah. Anthony Sorelli, who got passed up in two drafts. But I know one of the guys that yeah. you're tight with is Travis Konechny. And uh, yeah, oh, he's great. Yeah, yeah. I re- and I remember watching him playing. I think it was was it Elgin Middlesex where he was playing. Elgin Middlesex. Yeah. So yeah. I remember watching yeah. him in his minor midget year, and he ended up being the you know the number one pick in the OHL draft. But even for him, like it wasn't easy right away. You know, like he no. he had some ups and downs, and you know even in his first couple years playing in Philly, like you know he wasn't necessarily playing a huge role and stuff like that. I mean, this year he's starting to freaking absolutely light it up, which is awesome because he was one yeah. of my favorite players. Like. Smaller guy at the time when he was playing minor midget, but holy crap, did he have an engine and he compete? It was unreal to watch him play. But like, it's it's even a process, and I tell this to kids too. Like, for all this this Twitter crap when people are announcing their commitments to wherever OHL or college or whatever, it's like, hey, like that's great that you're out there, but your your job's not done yet. <laughs> like, this is just the no. beginning. Now you yeah. have something that you like you have to work to, and I think people that's forget right. about that. It's like getting drafted, and you see the tweets all the time from people like in the know in the hockey world and you know from coaches and people that have played and stuff it's like hey getting drafted is great but it doesn't really mean anything like you still have a job that you got to you still got to make the team then you still got to get a role on a team then you still got to earn the coaches trusting at ice time like there's so much more that goes into your experience than just being selected first or 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 300th overall exactly i I, I completely agree with you and and you'll hear you know you a lot of right just just to your point a lot of the guys coaches or general managers say hey it's your opportunity i i don't you know where you were drafted ultimately doesn't doesn't really you're now in our organization and i i think i think parents get wrapped up in this too and say well i was a fifth round pick yeah but you were the first defenseman taken as their fifth round pick look at your opportunity don't look at it as a negative of where you were drafted because three defensemen went no, no, no. Look at your individual opportunity and make the very most of it, as, as you guys have both hit on. And I think that's the uh, protect yourselves from the noise, focus on control the controllables and focus on what they can, which is their effort and getting better every day. And hopefully you have a great experience with it. I mean, you can get wrapped up and caught up in too many things. and Boy, that's that can just ruin the experience. <laughs> that's, that's not what it's supposed to be about. Like, yeah. Yeah, totally. Well, one other question I have for you, because I actually, uh, I spoke to a bunch of uh, teams. There was a border battle this weekend between a bunch of U.S. teams and Canadian teams down here in Rochester. And uh, I get this question all the time from from U.S. parents, but also, you know, especially Canadian parents, too, is like, what, what happens after my minor midget year? Because so much, so much attention uh, is, is focused on that year. And like U18 major midget hockey in the U S is kind of become an afterthought. And, and and I know it's kind of similar in, in, uh, in Canada as well. So what would some advice be, um, you know, in your role to maybe some families that either get drafted in the Ontario hockey league, but aren't ready to play juniors yet. Um, or, um, you know, they, maybe they're just not ready for junior hockey at all. And maybe they didn't get drafted. What, what happens after your minor midget year if you're not quite yeah. ready to take that step? So from our from our from our team's perspective, they're going to check in with you. They, they may give you some guidance. They in fact may place you uh, with an affiliate team right within their organization. Some teams have the luxury Sarnia and Sarnia Junior B, right? The Sarnia staying affiliate with Sarnia Junior B team. They may be able to place you uh, right within their affiliate. That's not the case across the board, and that's not the case for all draft picks. So if you're not in that situation, you need to have a great plan B. 
and ultimately what I've always said to uh, families is, is, okay, can you, can you sleep in your own bed? Yes, maybe I can. What's around you to allow you to stay in your own home for an extra year, go to your own high school for an extra year, be under the guidance of mom and dad for an extra year? What's around you to be able to, to achieve those three things? They're going to say, well, I might have a midget program or I could have a tier two junior A program. Okay, you have both. Great. Which one is going to give you the opportunity to play in nearly every single situation? And, and that's where parents come to the crossroads and they say, well, the tier 2A guys, it's, uh, you know, older than players, but he's going to take a regular shift, but he's going to get special teams. No, not likely. Where maybe there's a great U18 or a great midget program and, and the player will play in every situation. They'll be a leader. You know, there's good coaching. Uh, hopefully, to me, that one doesn't get viewed enough. The U18 becomes an afterthought, as you said, so far. And, and I think that's where that's where sometimes uh, families can get caught up with needing to rush to be into junior versus taking a step back and saying, wow, it's way better for me to touch the puck all the time, to... Uh, you know, to, to be in those leadership positions, to be on the ice with two minutes left on the power play, that's better for my player development than taking just a regular shift at the tier 2A level. So I think when I talk to families, it's can you stay in your, you know, in your own home and then, okay, yes, you're there. Well, and hopefully one of them presents itself clearer than the other, and, and that's what families choose to do. I love that, Birchie. That's great advice. And I'll even add to it. Another thing, I, I coached at the U18 level last year, my first year being retired from playing. And I kept telling yeah. the guys, like, if your goal is to play juniors, this is the last year where I don't want to say your coaches, like, completely care about you, but I don't get more money or less money. It's or not a worry business. About, it's not a business. Not I'm a not business. worried no. as the coach about being fired if we lose every game. Obviously, I don't right. want that. But I'm here to develop you more and care about you going off next year, having success. So if you're one of those players or families really use that extra year, like Birchie just said, to develop, like work out correctly, train correctly three to four days a week. Because when you get to juniors, you can't be, I mean, the goal is to play well get scouted, get scholarships, you know, sign NHL deals. You might not be able to work out as much because you're playing more games and you got to be completely a hundred percent ready to play that game. So do more work, skill work with the coach before, after practice, work out more, use that year to develop as much as you can so that maybe you gain on those guys who went too early and are playing a fourth line shift, barely playing, you know, not get into practice like and work on things. So like use it to develop. That's right. And that's the key. And that's and that's the messaging that we we need to try to continue to tell to the families is look at it in that scope. Look look just just take a look at that as a real, real key piece here. If you're telling me your goal is as you say to reach the National Hockey League, that year after your draft can be one of the most critical for you to be able to take some huge steps. In, in physical growth, your skill set, mental growth, academically, all that sort of stuff, it, it's, it's actually a bigger decision, I think, than maybe some families uh, really think about. But, but when they go to make that decision, they don't 
really look at it with the with the real wide lens. Where is it going to put me a year after that year or two years after that year? And they really got to think that way. That's such great advice, Birchie. Well, we've had you on here for a while. We can probably still talk for another nine hours, like I, know, uh, like I said I earlier. <laughs> but uh, before I let you go, I, I, I was told to sure. ask you a question, um, and this is okay. probably it's probably going to be the toughest one. I'm going to throw you a real hardball here. So, um, the the question that I was told to ask to you is, who is the best skill development coach in the NHL right now? Oh, well, I mean, there's 31, I'm sure, excellent uh, people out there. But without a doubt, what's going on in the Detroit Red Wings organization (laughs) and uh, the development that's taking place there uh, leads back to just one and one guy only, and and, uh, that's Matt Lark. (laughs) No, Brandon Nerado. (laughs) I love it. Uh, so, hey, but in all seriousness, uh, he is, uh, first of all, he's an incredible person, as the three of us know. And if he is listening, uh, I, I do tell him this all the time. He's one of the best in the business. Yep. If you're a Detroit area player, and, and Larky is outstanding, too, who's a, a great up-and-comer in that respect, who's being tutored, I, I believe, under Brandon. But but Coach Nauer is dynamite. He knows his stuff and uh, his, his approach to it, his, his communication skills to the players. Uh, I love what he does. Uh, there's lots of great ones in the game. There's no doubt about it. But, again, the, the Detroit Red Wings are on the rise here. Uh, Brandon Nauer has been a big piece of that. So. Absolutely, absolutely. Figured we give Nar some, uh, you know, some face yeah, time. Here, some, hey, like this was awesome, Birchie. We really appreciate you taking uh, some time out of your morning to to sit and talk some puck with us. And uh, you know, you're doing some awesome things up there in Ontario. Continue to do a great job, and uh, I'm sure we'll be in touch at some point pretty soon as well. Hey, thanks, Topher. Thanks, Jeff. Really, really loved it, and I, and I do wish I had more time. I, I'm happy to talk again anytime you wish, and uh, keep doing what you guys are doing because it's really important for coaches and families and to all the kids and the parents out there. Hopefully uh, this has helped, and you're more than welcome to contact me at the OHL office if you have special, uh, specific questions relating to our programming. But, but thank you both. Awesome. Thanks, Bridget. Have a good one. Thank, thank you. you. Thanks, buddy. Right, thanks, bye. Bye.